We have been, just like Sarah said, believing God over the last several weeks specifically, and I believe at his leading, for extra coming into our lives and just renewing our minds to the kind of God we serve, to the kind of father that we have. And he's a God of too much. He's a God of increase. And uh, you've already heard it several times this morning. He's, he's not a God that fills the cup halfway or even all the way to the top, but he overflows and causes it to run over. And we've been focused on that for the last several weeks, just building in ourselves an expectation for it. And that's important. Like we've already said today, it matters what you say. And you can't be talking about running out all the time and expecting God to provide, to meet the need and supply more than enough. It's got to be in your heart coming out of your mouth. And that's the reason we've been focused on it so much. And I want to take uh, one more time today, and I believe this is the last time for this year that we'll spend talking about this, but we're going to keep renewing our minds to this and get, keep getting excited about extra. And every time we open the word of God, I hope you're doing the same thing I'm doing. I just say extra, extra, read all about it because it's all right here. Um, before we get into that, let me give you the quick report on what's going on in our plan to expand project. Great things are happening there. And then at the end of the service today, we'll receive our offering and I'll give you an opportunity to sow into it. But, but quickly, let's put up the pictures of our uh, lobby expansion. Do we have those today, guys? Let's take a look at this. Most of you have seen these, but I want to keep this in front of you. Isn't it beautiful? It will be. There we go. So the first picture was the before. This is the future. Uh, but this is what we're believing God to do right now. We want to take some space in the front of the church and build out a beautiful lobby and have a place that's just dedicated to fellowship and give you all a place to just to hang out with each other and fellowship around the word and around your excitement about the things of God. And I believe this is a huge key to the growth of this church. And we've talked all about this in weeks past. I won't take time to do it today, but I see specific assignment in the word of God that our fellowship is, is such a key thing. It's so important to our lives as believers. Yes, we must have um, uh, our lives firmly built on the word. Yes, we must have our own relationship with God. But if you could get everything you needed on your own without anybody else, there'd be no need for you to be here. There'd be no need for you and I to, to be called to fellowship with each other. Evidently, you've got something on the inside of you that somebody else needs. And they've got something on the inside of them that you need. All that to say, that's what this whole space is dedicated to. We want people to walk in. The front doors will be right there on your right. You can kind of see the light coming in the doors there. And we want people to walk in and just, we want them just to have their whole vision lifted. That was one of the big things the Lord told us about our assignment years ago. When we first started looking for, for a piece of property for our ministry, he said, one of the things your property will do will cause all those who step onto it to look up to lift up their eyes. So whether they're looking at the mountains around us or coming into this place, we want them to see that our God is, is a God of excellence and whatever's going on in this house can be going on in their house too. So this is what we're doing together in this plan to expand project. We have released faith uh, for a million dollars to get some of these things uh, started. And that would include our inside expansion with the lobby, our outside expansion with the roadways and the parking lots, and then our worldwide expansion. We're making investment into some equipment. And I'll just give you a quick update. We purchased a brand new uh, soundboard for the sanctuary that's going to... Uh, 
really help the sound in here come up to another level, help our sound for television come up to another level, and then enable us to get some good recordings as well. And we bought that thing, Jason helped me out, how many months ago now? Six months ago, we purchased that. And I don't know how many times we've been told, it's on the way. But uh, I know you've seen all the supply chain stuff and all that, but we're just, we'll be patient, but it's coming. I believe it's going to get here soon. And as soon as it does, we're going to, we're going to video the unwrapping of it and show you. We're going to get excited about it. So we are making some investments all across the board here. And go ahead and put up our stats from where we were last week. If you've been tracking with us, you know we've made awesome progress in this. Just since May, uh, from the time we launched the project up until last week, we've had 78.44% of that million dollars already come in. It's sitting in the bank. It's ready to go as soon as we can get construction started. And, and like I said, already making some of these purchases. And that's a big that's a big amount of progress in a very short amount of time. And that's got to be the grace of God. I couldn't do that on my own. You couldn't, but the Lord is really helping us. Over the last week, we've had almost another one and a half percent, 1.48% come in. Oh, we are. We are almost at 80. We'll be up over 80% by the time we get together next week. I'm telling you, the Lord has done good things and you're going to have an opportunity to sow into that again later on. Thank you, Lord. If you've got your Bible, open with me to the book of John, chapter 10. We started just about a year ago looking at the words of Jesus in John, chapter 10. It's what we ended last year with. It's what we began this year with. And believe it or not, 2021 is like over in a few days. Somebody said, glory to God. (laughs) But no, it's been good. The Lord has been so faithful to us. But I want to say something to you again right now that I mentioned to you in the closing days of uh, 2020 moving into this year. There is nothing magical or mystical that takes place when you flip a calendar page from December 31st of one year to January 1st of the next. Nothing happens. There's nothing miraculous in the turning of the page. However, if you will use what's happening in the natural just as a, a, an outward demonstration of what you believe can and should be happening in the spirit, you can use this time of the year we're in as one, thing's com- one thing comes to a close and another thing begins. You can use this time in your life to draw that line and say, like, just like we did coming into this year, just like the year before ended, so it was the end of sickness and disease and we're believing God in this year and in the years to come for life more abundantly. That's starting. And just because we're coming to the end of this year, it doesn't mean life more abundantly is coming to the end. You know that we're just going to build on top of it. So what Jesus said here in John chapter 10, verse 10 is, I think perhaps one of the most important verses in all of scripture. Of course, they're all life changing and eternity altering. But what Jesus said in this 10th verse is so powerful. He said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus is talking about having life to the full until it overflows. And again, he is drawing the line in the sand right here. 
and making it so crystal clear that there should be no confusion between Jesus, your savior and Satan, your enemy. And you would think, yeah, that would be obvious, right? Surely you could tell the difference. Then why do we have people all over the world laying blame for stealing, killing and destroying at the feet of God and calling it the sovereignty of God? When Jesus made it so clear and had it recorded for all men for all time, if it was stealing, killing, and destroying, I didn't do it. He wasn't in it. He was in the opposite. Not, not come to take life, but to give it. And to give it to the point where it so fills you up that it begins to overflow out of your life and spill over into the lives of people around you. That is life more abundantly. That is excessive, too much life. Now, in just meditating on some of these things again this week, it, it hit me in a fresh way. You and I know this, that we live in a world where stealing, killing, and destroying is happening around us all the time which is why we shouldn't put up with any of it in our lives. Just because it's happening in this world does not mean it has to happen in your world. And what I'm saying to you is don't put up with it. Don't tolerate it in any form or in any degree. Don't tolerate sickness. Because what sickness is, is death in a seed form. Because if that sickness is allowed to take root and it bears fruit and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing, it can come to the point where there's more sickness in the body than there is life. And the sickness that is in the body will choke out the life. And that's how this physical body, when somebody dies from a sickness, that's the reason right there. Because what started as a seed grew. Don't put up with it. Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. For the first time ever in reading this verse, just over the last several days, I saw that as though he was saying it in a comparative sense. I know sins in the world, but I came to give life and more life than there is sin. I know they're stealing and killing and destroying in the world, but the life that I came to give you, I came to give it not just life, but more of it than the stealing, more of it than the killing, more of it, more life than the destroying. So if there's more life working in you, that life can choke out sickness. That life can choke out stealing. That life can choke out the destroying. You want life and more of it working in you. Amen. Amen. And he said, I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly, extra, more than enough. Not just enough to meet your need. Not just enough to put food on your table and clothes on your back. No, more, more than, more than enough. Extra, excess. And what we've been believing God for in the, in, over the last several weeks is the wisdom to know what to do with the extra. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to the book of Mark chapter 10. Thank you, Father. Mark chapter 10. I love this passage in the scriptures, and we're just going to take some time with it this morning. You know, the scriptures, if you'll let them, will paint pictures. 
when you're spending time reading the word, I said, when you're spending time reading the word, I said, every day of your life, when you're spending time reading the word, call me crazy, but I think Christians should like every day. If you'll allow the spirit of God in you, the same one who authored this book, he will go to work on the inside painting pictures. And this, this book will come alive to you because this book is alive. I want that to happen today as we read this from the book of Mark chapter 10. Notice we'll start here in verse 17. It's talking about Jesus and it says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running. Let this paint a picture. As Jesus was going out, he's leaving town. He's going out on the road and somebody comes running up behind him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You see this same account in the book of Matthew and it would help to put them together. You get a really complete picture of it. As Jesus is leaving town, walking out on the road, somebody comes running up behind him and kneeling down. In my mind, he's running and he just does like a sliding in on the knees, you know, on that dirt road. And you can almost sense the urgency in his question. He's running. He's not complacent about this. This is, this is an urgency. This is a, a, almost an emergency for him. And if you put this with Matthew's account of it, he said it like this, good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, what's he asking for? Eternal life. Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it how? More abundantly. In terms of extra, there is nothing more extra than eternal. It does not get more extra than eternal. It just keeps going and going and going and going. But eternal life is not just simply a, a description or a depiction of a, a length of time. It has to do with the quality of it. Eternal life isn't just existing eternally. See, you are, you are a being that will exist forever. I don't know if you realize that or not, but I hope you leave with that today. You're going to be around a long time. This body is on its way out, but this spirit, who you really are, will exist forever. But eternal life isn't just about that existence. Because if you can have eternal life, guess what else you can have? Eternal death. And what eternal life is, is it has more to do with the one you spend eternity with. Life, it's not just existing. It's not just having a pulse, for lack of a better word. It has to do with what you, with, with what you draw from the one you're spending that time with. I mean, heaven itself. When we think heaven, a lot of times we think about the, the things the scripture has told us about it, whether it's a street, the streets of gold or a gate of pearl or... These, the crystal sea and all these different things, but those aren't the things 
that make heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is who's there. You're talking about existing forever with life himself, love himself. He is what makes heaven heaven. You know that. What makes your home your home? It's not the brick. It's not the mortar. It's you. It's the people in it. That's what makes eternal life eternal life. It's the one you're spending it with. Well, by default, what do you know about the opposite? Eternal death. Hell, characterized, of course, by the flames or the, the torture. But really, it's more about who's not there. And here comes this guy chasing Jesus down the road with this sense of urgency and out of emergency. And he's running up behind him and he comes sliding in on his knees, on his knees and says, wait, wait. Good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to make sure that I inherit eternal life? See, humanity from this guy to these guys, us, has been looking for this one thing right here. Eternal life. It's what people have been on the quest of for centuries and centuries. Trying to find that fountain of youth, right? Trying to find that secret pill. Trying to find that secret drink and that concoction and it's lemon water and cayenne pepper and <laughs> maple syrup and a little bit of dirt from the backyard. And I mean, hey, if the internet said that, there's a bunch of you in here that'd be like, I'll try it. Yeah, give me a shot of that. But they're looking for that thing that, that helps you live a little longer, helps you stay young a little longer. Well, what's the root of that? What is the root of that quest? Because most of the world, and you know this, though they're looking for it, they're looking in all the wrong places. But what's the root of it? I saw something just in the last 24 hours in this passage I don't think I'd really seen before. I noticed that this guy came running. And like I said, that, that makes me think there's an urgency about it. But what's the root? It's the fear of death. It's being afraid to die. And not knowing what the future holds. Not knowing what's in eternity. I mean, think about it in, in that light. And, and let me just sort of fast forward in the story here. And we'll come to this in just a moment. But there's really not much we know about this guy. We'll find it out here in just a few verses. But he has great possessions. You're going to find that out here in just a minute. He's got a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of money. A lot of material things. Great possessions. If you were around here a few months ago when we were studying great Grace, do you remember what that word great in the scripture was? Mega. Same word. This guy's mega rich. Got mega stuff. Isn't it interesting though, that as rich as he is materially and financially, you can still see there's a hole on the inside? Yes. 
I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know, but out of his own mouth, he's just admitted there's no life in the stuff. He's starving for life. He's begging for life. He squeezed all the life out of the stuff that he can get and he's still empty and that's why he comes running. And here's the good news for you and for me this morning. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're confident that there is eternal life, not only working in you right now, but it is in your future for eternity. Check this out. I don't care what's in the bank. You got something this rich guy didn't have. I'm telling you this morning, you're richer than you thought you were. You are way more well off than you thought you were coming in here today. You got something millionaires are starving for. You've got something billionaires are hungry for. And there are one right after the other that would tell you they've got everything there is to have. And there's still this God shaped hole on the inside. And if you've got that, you're richer than you thought. You've got something those others don't have. Now, just because they have millions or even billions doesn't mean they can't have this. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means the money's not going to satisfy. The stuff's not going to satisfy. And this guy's story is just as relevant today as it was when it was written. Good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus responds to him in the next verse with kind of an interesting response. It's puzzled me for a long time. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. I thought that's kind of a strange response coming from you, Jesus. But it goes back to this guy's question. Good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? There's a lot of things wrong with that question. First thing that's wrong with it, and this is why you see Jesus respond to him the way he did, is you can tell this guy's concept of what is good is all messed up. He calls Jesus good, and in the next breath talks about what good thing do I have to do. His goodness and your goodness do not belong anywhere in the same conversation. They do not belong anywhere on the same level. Good teacher, what good thing do I have to do? Wrong. I said wrong. And that's why Jesus said, why are you calling me good? We're going to have to work on your definition and your concept of good. Here's what else is wrong with this question. What good thing do I have to do to inherit? Now the word inherit, it is a good word to use. Other places in scripture talk about those who have inherited, those who are heirs of salvation. Inheritance is the right word. I said it's the right word because of what the concept of inheritance is. Do you know what this is? Inheritance itself is something that belongs to you that somebody else worked for. And that's what the New Testament calls our salvation. Everything that God has provided through grace it's all something that belongs to us that Jesus worked for, that Jesus sweat drops of blood for, that Jesus went to the cross for, that Jesus rose again victorious over death, hell, and the grave for. He did the work for it, and it belongs to you. It's your inheritance. But this guy's question was, what do I have to do to inherit? 
That's messed up to me because if there's something my father, George Pearson's, is working for that he would leave to me, there's nothing I have to do except be a son. All I have to do is be born of him. Check. <laughs> Done. That's what I had to do to inherit. In other words, there's no, there's no other boxes to be checked. My dad is not requiring anything else of me to earn my inheritance. It's mine because I'm his son and he's my father. That's how inheritance is supposed to work. But you can see his concept of inheritance is, is skewed because he's like, what do I have to do? How can I earn my inheritance? I wonder if this is any kind of window into his, maybe his relationship with his father. There's not a lot, like I said, we know about this guy. We know he's got some stuff. I think some of your Bibles might have written out there above those verses, the, the rich young ruler. And that stands to be true because the verses leading into this is Jesus praying over the children. And I know those were little children, but the verses right after this, it says one came running to him. Could be a young man running after him. How does a young man come into all that wealth? Huh? Inheritance. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. But whether he thought this way or not, are there people among us right now that either see their own natural father this way or their heavenly father this way? What do I have to do? to get this from you, to earn this from you. Good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to inherit? Of course, Jesus, we talked about his response. Why do you call me good? None good but God. And I said to him in verse 19, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered in verse 20 and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And yet there's still this thing on the inside, this recognition, there's something I'm missing. And the only words he knew to put around it were life, eternal life. Verse 21, it says, Jesus looking at him, loved him. So whatever Jesus is about to say is coming out of this place of love for this young man. Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. Wouldn't you love to hear that from him? One thing. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Follow me. I think sometimes we read this and thinking Jesus is saying to him, this is the thing you lack. But if you look closely at it, I believe what he's saying is follow me and we'll talk about it. Whatever it is you're lacking, come on, follow me. Let's talk about it. Follow me. Now, these two words, this little two word invitation out of the mouth of Jesus, we're familiar with it because, because he's good and he's faithful, which means 
All human ears are going to hear these two words, are going to get these, this invitation from him. You, me, all of us. At this time, though, not everybody got that. There was actually a select few, a very small group of people that ever got those two words offered to them as an invitation from the mouth of Jesus, eye to eye, face to face, follow me. It was actually very rare. If you go back and look at the beginning of the book of Mark chapter one, Jesus introduces himself to Peter and some of the others who would become disciples. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, Peter and the boys were out there fishing. That's who they were. That's what they did. That was their profession. That was their livelihood. They weren't out there because it was a hobby. They were out there because fish in a net was money in the bank. Fish in the net was food on the table, was clothes on the back. This is their job. This is their sole source of income. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What's that mean? Well, you know, and I know, because we've got like 2000 years of experience with, with what that means. These guys don't know what that means. Fishers of men. And yet they dropped everything. They left the net, the Bible says, and they followed him. He went on just a little bit further and there was a couple of sons working in the boat with their dad, said the same thing to him. They left their net. The Bible says they left their father in the boat and just immediately followed him. There was something about him that drew them to him. So here's this guy getting the same two word invitation, but I want you to compare his response to the others. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, but he was sad at this word. Why? He went away sorrowful for he had mega stuff. He had excess. He had extra. He had lots of possessions. The fear of death which the Bible says is what's holding people all their lifetimes in bondage. It's what drove him to Jesus. It's what caused him to get up and come running and fall on his knees and beg him and tell him, I'm looking for eternal life. I'm starving for it. I got stuff, but there's no life in it. And the thing this guy has going for him that millions of others don't is he came to the right place. I mean, if Jesus is going to say, I've come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly, our first response should be, thank you. Our second response should be, how do I get my hands on it? Where do I go? Tell me where to go to find it. Because that same fear of death, whether people know to put these words around it or not, what they're afraid of is eternal separation from God. They may not know to say it that way, but that is the fear of eternal death. And it's driving people to try to live longer on this earth. But guess what? I don't care if you live 100 years, 120 years. It's coming to an end at some point, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but this outward man is perishing. This outward man, as we speak, is on his way out. Oh, don't say it, pastor. I'm sorry. It's just what's happening. And when people can't find it, that youth, that fountain of youth, they couldn't find it coming out of the earth. They couldn't find it in a pill. They couldn't find it in a drug. They couldn't find it in a bottle. They couldn't find it in a bed. They're looking everywhere for it. And now it's called 
Diet and exercise. Well, there's nothing wrong with diet and exercise. I believe in diet and exercise. But if you are dieting and exercising driven by this fear of death, it's actually working against you. It's actually doing the very thing in you. You're trying to keep it from doing fear of death. It's bondage. It's bondage. And we know this. There are people in bondage to their diet, in bondage to their exercise, being driven by that fear of death, thinking this is where I find youth. This is where I find longevity. And what this guy had going for him that so many others have not is he came to the right source. He was already miles ahead just because he had come to the right place in search of eternal life. And I'm going to say this, and I know I've got a room full of people who will readily agree with me, but, but this world needs to know we believe this way. There's no other place for it. Jesus is the only source of eternal life. It's not found in another God. It's not found in another religion. It's not found in another belief system. We don't all end up in the same place. There's not many paths and many truths. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. There's none other. And this guy came to the right place for it. And Jesus looked at him. And he loved him. He said, man, there's only one thing. I know you're hungry for it. I'm going to show it to you. Follow me. Where are we going? I'll show you. I'll take you there. We'll talk about it on the way. And he said to him, listen, go get free. You're all tied up in this stuff. You're all burdened down with all this stuff. And you already know it's not doing for you what you thought it would do. Go get free. Come on. Come on. But when he heard this word, he was sad. He was sorrowful. He walked away. He didn't follow. He walked away. Sorrowful because he had great possessions. Man, I wish this guy, for his own sake, had just stuck around for like five minutes. Less. Five verses. <laughs> Listen to what he would have found out. As soon as he walked away, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. You would think, man, if this was just a bunch of poor boys, they'd probably be like, oh yeah, you rich people, y'all are terrible. No, they were astonished. The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who do what? Trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those are strong words. Those are stout words. Why would that be true? Why, out of all the people groups in the world, is it so hard to get rich ones into the kingdom? 
Because a rich man can look around at the stuff. What do I need a God for? I'm doing fine. It's you poor folks. It's you feeble-minded that need the crutch of religion. What do I need a God for? I've got money in the bank. I've got food on the table. I've got everything I want. Doing fine. It's hard to get a rich man into the kingdom of God because it's hard for him to let somebody else be God. It's hard to get him to put his trust in something other than himself. And if you were to stop right there, you could build doctrines, and many, many people have, that would say, see, you prosperity preaching people. See, rich people can't enter the kingdom of God. Hold on. Keep reading. Man, that's the answer to a lot of Bible questions right there. Keep reading. Verse 26, they were greatly astonished, mega astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, say these words with me, all things are possible. Now you and I have used those scriptures, used that verse. We've shouted about it. We've faced impossible situations and we've said, no, with God, all things are possible. And that's good. And I encourage you to do that. Put it back in the context of where Jesus said it. You want to know what he was talking about when he said, with God, all things are possible? He's talking about rich people entering into the kingdom of God. On their own, they can't do it. With God, all things, including getting rich people into the kingdom of God and people being in the kingdom of God, being rich, it's possible. Not with men, but with God, it's possible. You didn't know that verse. You've been wearing that t-shirt for all these years. All things are possible. You had no idea it was talking about you being rich and loving God, serving God. In the world, it's impossible. It's impossible to get people's minds off themselves and to see God as their source. But as soon as they acknowledge him and put trust in him, now you're living over here in this realm of impossibilities made possible with God. Thank you, Lord. And is this guy hearing any of this? Why? He walked away just a moment too soon. Because when Jesus said, sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Follow me. All this guy could think was, I'd be losing everything. I'd be losing everything. Then he walked away. Jesus watched him walk away. Do you notice that? Didn't chase him down. Didn't say, wait, 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 hold on. Here, let me explain. Let me make this clear. Jesus didn't chase people down. He gave them something to put faith in. And if they would be willing to put a little bit of faith in that, he'd give them more and give them more. To him who has, more will be given. But to him who does not have, who does not have any faith, who does not have any value, who does not have any appreciation for what God has given, even what they do have will be taken from them. And he walked away. And Jesus watched him walk away. And use this as an opportunity to turn to his disciples and say, you see how hard it is? See how hard it is? 
as long as he sees himself as his own source and his supply, then he's going to continue to live with the fear of death hanging over his head for the rest of his life. And they said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, look, it's impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter said in verse 28, began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Now he's talking about what happened the day he met Jesus. I mentioned it to you just a moment ago. When Peter said, I've left all, what's he talking about? He left that net. He left that boat. He left what he thought was his only source of supply. See, it's a big thing for a fisherman to walk away from the net. Because again, this is not a hobby. This is this man's way of life. He's leaving his job. For what? This guy. Why? I'm not real sure. (laughs) He invited me. He said something about fishing for people. I can't explain it. But there's something in his eyes. There's something in his words. I'm drawn. And he left the net. What is the net? We think about a net in terms of Something there to to fall back on. Something there to hold you up. We've talked about this before, but if you you go to a circus and you see at one point during the show, there are these people that climb those tall ladders several stories up and they step out over that tight rope, just very narrow, and they're they're walking and making their way down. And of course, everybody's ooing and aahing. And he almost fell, but he didn't. And then if they happen to fall, gingerly down into this beautiful net beneath him. And what's the worst that's happened, right? It gets real when you get these guys that string out a cable over the Grand Canyon or downtown Chicago between skyscrapers. And you look and it ain't nothing but the ground beneath them. It gets real when you take away the net doesn't it? And what if Jesus had said to Peter, follow me? And Peter said, hmm, okay. And they're walking down the road and Jesus turns around and Peter's dragging this, this net behind him. Jesus is like, Peter, what's with the net? Oh, you know, well, just in case this whole fishers of men thing doesn't work out, I've got this to fall back on. Peter said, we've left everything. I left the net. The other boys were like, I left my dad. He might still be in the boat. I don't know. (laughs) What are they doing? Walking away from themselves being their source. Walking away from me meeting my own need in response to the call of God. That doesn't automatically mean everybody in the world is supposed to quit their job. That's not what any, what any of this means. But it is an adjustment in the heart. Who's your source? Who's your supply? Because as long as you look at what you have and you look at the money in the bank and the cars in the garage and the food on the table and you say, I have made, I am a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Look at the living that I have made. I make 
a living. Man, I just got to wonder what that sounds like in the ears of God. It's got to sound like, me, man, me make fire. Me, me provide living for me, family. It's got to sound so Neanderthal and so backwards for you to see yourself as your own source. But all this guy could tell is that if I'm, if I'm going to go with him, that means I lose everything. But watch and listen to what he would have heard if he had stayed for like five minutes. When Peter said, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive, verse 30, a hundredfold in the sweet by and by, in the days of heaven beyond this earth. No, what did he say? Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses. Houses. What is that? Well, one house is enough, right? Well, what is houses? Extra. Extra. Houses, he said. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands uh, with persecutions. Uh. Listen, listen. And in the age to come, the very thing he came asking for. And the thing he missed out on, thinking he couldn't have the stuff. Fear of death. This verse here in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, this reaping a hundredfold. Sarah and I have stood on this verse for over 10 years. When we were first married, I had been working for my parents. I was the youth pastor in their church. I'd been doing that for about four years. And then she and I got married and we youth pastored together again there for another couple of years. And then we uh, went from that role and we started traveling as representatives of my grandparents' ministry and, and still on staff with them. And, and uh, you know, when, when Papa is the man at least where you work, there's a certain level of job security that you feel. I'll just be real honest with you about it. It's like, just, just don't mess up so bad that they kick you out of this place. As long as you just behave yourself and you can have a job here and you can have you know, good pay here and it can be good, consistent pay. And you know, when, 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 when mom and dad are the bosses and Mimi and Papa are in charge, you know, there's a certain level of, of comfort. But the night before Thanksgiving, 2009, Sarah and I laid in bed on our backs, just staring up at the ceiling. And we just started dreaming. And we just started talking out loud to each other. And at one point in our conversation, it quit being Jeremy and Sarah talking to each other. And it became Jesus speaking to us through each other. 
And I remember the night so well. It's like the presence of the Lord just filled up the room. And what we didn't realize in the moment was we were prophesying our future. We started talking about stepping out into our own. And, and would the Lord call us out? You know, and I'd come from a family that everybody in the family had their place there in the ministry. And it was a good thing. And we're all serving and all working for the common purpose. And, and yet here we are and we're talking about stuff. I'm like, am I even allowed to talk about this? <laughs> and we start talking about one day. What if, what if we were in Colorado? What if we had some land in Colorado? And what if, what if there was buildings on it? And what if there was like these cabins where people could come? And this is night before Thanksgiving, 2009. And our hearts just began to burn. It began to stir on the inside of us. And some months after that, you know the story, we went and submitted the whole thing to my grandparents about stepping out, and they, they launched us out into our ministry, and, and, and we thought we were coming to Colorado right away, and of course, that took several years to get here, and then it finally did, but that whole time, we kept coming back to this verse, Mark 10, 30, Jesus said, nobody has left anything for his sake and the gospel's who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, lands, family, increased family. He said, you don't leave family without me giving you more family. You don't leave a house without me giving you a greater place. And we stood on it and we stood on it and we stood on it. And you know, it took about 10 years. But right now we are living in the, the, the fulfilled prophecy of what Jesus said to his disciples on this day. Nobody's left anything. As we talk about believing God for extra, motivation matters. Motivation matters. What I'm saying to you is what Jesus said to people, take heed how you hear this. See, as a minister, I can't control how you hear something. We were laughing just this week. We took our dog with us down to Texas uh, to see my family and do Thanksgiving with them. And my sister Aubrey's down there and she, she loves our dog Gunner. And she got so excited about Gunner coming. She told me on the phone, I spent like 50 bucks on treats and <laughs> chew toys and all this stuff. And we were just before we left, I've got it on video. But I said to Gunner, I said, you want to go to Texas? And Aubrey's excited to see you. And Aubrey's going to give you a treat. And as soon as I said treat, <laughs> he turned and he was like all ears, full attention. And we were laughing about it, thinking, this is what Gunner hears. A treat? I've seen us do the same thing with this kind of message. You get people coming to church, and this is what they hear all morning long. Money! Huh? Take heed how you hear this. Jesus just made a massive promise to you. A massive, massive promise. And he, he used these words. Hundredfold. 
I dare say we've not even wrapped our minds around that yet. A hundredfold? And you hear that and you start getting all excited. A hundredfold. I'm going to buy me one of those. I'm going to buy me one of these. I'm going to live in this. I'm going to drive one of those. Be careful. Take heed how you hear this. What was the hundredfold connected to? It was connected to what you are willing to walk away from for his sake and the gospels. You cannot disconnect these things. I'm not standing here this morning claiming to you to, to know everything there is to know about the hundredfold and how it works and what it looks like, but I can read red words and I can see here that it's connected to you answering the call to follow me and the willingness to walk away from anything. But it takes revelation. You having a revelation that this guy didn't have. See, he heard it and he thought, I'm losing something. But what you need to hear is that leaving something is not losing something. Leaving something for his sake in the gospels is sowing something. And whatever I leave as a so-called source in effort to make him my source and my supply, then there is a hundredfold return on the other side of this. Does your heart not just break for this young guy. It's like, my brother, stick around. I know you didn't understand it. I know it didn't make good sense to you, but just walk with him. Just follow him down the road. It's going to get more clear with every step you take. But all he heard was, I'm losing it. I'm losing things. What he didn't realize was that there was a hundredfold return on the other side of whatever you're willing to walk away from for his sake in the gospels. Don't make, don't disconnect that though. For his sake and the gospels. I believe that every believer, you and me included, will be met with the exact same thing Peter and the boys were met with, that this young guy was met with, at least once in our lifetime. And it's the opportunity to go all in for the kingdom of God. Every one of us will have that. God will give that opportunity to every one of us at some point if you haven't seen it already. I'm telling you about what, what Sarah and I walked away from. When we stepped into this ministry, we started as youth pastors. And, and like I said, it grew from there. And, and when we stepped into that other role, it came with a raise and it came with benefits and all that kind of stuff. And, and we walked away from it. And for a long time, I would tell people, yeah, you know, we're just getting outside of our comfort zone, you know, walking away from our, our salaries and walking away from the income and all. we're just getting outside of our comfort zone. And finally, the Lord got a hold of me and said, hey, I gave you the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. If you are somewhere other than where the comforter has led you to be, that's not comfortable. Quit calling that comfort. Quit calling that what comforts you. Quit calling that security. And you know, we walked away and we did not take a paycheck from this ministry for the better part of a year. I think it was about eight, nine months that we didn't, we didn't take any income. And I look back on it now and I still don't know how it happened other than the grace of God. We did not go backwards. We never lacked for one thing. 
we increased and increased and increased because we were willing to walk away to leave family, to leave so-called security. And when Jesus said here, he who leaves, when he listed the family, that, that's not in the sense of sayonara suckers, never talking to you again, excommunicado from my life. That's not what this is about. He's talking about changing your source. They're not the source. They're not the security. When this guy heard Jesus' word and heard this invitation to follow me, the Bible says he walked away sad. And I've written this in my Bible right here. Not me. Psalm 119 verse 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. So when this little two-word invitation falls on your ears, follow me. Yeah, but Jesus, that's, that's in another state. Yeah, but Jesus, that's, that's away from this job where I've got tenure and that's away from this, this uh, salary that I've been getting and that's away from the benefits and follow me. Rejoice at that word like you've just found great treasure. I'll read this to you, this last scripture and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field for the joy over it. What happened with this rich young ruler? He walked away sad, sorrowful, not this guy. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a guy out there working in a field, digging in a field. And in this particular time, you do not get further down the corporate ladder than digging in a field. That is entry level work right there. This is a poor man. He's working in a field. He's slaving away under the sun. And as he's working, he finds treasure. And for the joy over it, for excitement over it, you know what he does? Jesus said, he buries it again. He hides it. He goes and sells all that he has, everything he can get his hands on. In other words, he goes all in for this treasure. I mean, I can only imagine what this conversation was like at home when he got home from work at five o'clock that day. And he comes running in the door, dirty, covered in dirt from this field. He's panicked. He's in a frenzy. And all he's doing is blabbing about selling everything. And he's running around the house and his wife's going, what is the matter with you? Calm down. What do you mean we're selling everything? Yes, we're selling everything. It's all got to go. Are we using that? No, we're selling it. We're selling it. We need all these kids. We're selling everything we got. We're, everything's got to go. And she finally gets a hold of him long enough to get him to take a breath and says, stop it. What are you doing? He says, okay, I'm buying a field, Right? And he takes her out there to that field and whatever it is, some little patch of grass, dying grass, just a bunch of dirt and rocks and an old dead tree in the corner. And, and she's standing out there like, what? He's, he's lost his mind. My mother was right. What have we done? He's looking at it with this massive smile on his face. So excited. 
Now all friends and family are walking by whispering about him. There's that idiot who sold it. They're homeless. He sold everything to buy that patch of dirt. What an idiot. Now help me out. What's happening here? He's excited. He's full of joy. Nobody else can see it. Why? They're looking at what's on the surface. He's looking at the treasure buried beneath. And he can see it. And he knows that that treasure buried beneath the surface of this field is more than enough to, to put back everything he's just spent buying this field. He knows that's more than enough to pay every debt. He knows that it's more than enough to meet every need. He knows that it's more. It's extra. It's excess. And he's all excited about it. And Jesus said, that is the kingdom. So basically what I'm saying to you this morning is let them walk by. Let them scoff. Let them mock. Because you're that that lunatic who went all in for the things of God, who went all in for the plan of God, for the purposes of God, who, whose, life, whose, whose life's only motivation is to do things for Jesus' sake and the gospels. Let them laugh. What are you looking at? You're looking at the treasure. You're looking at what's buried beneath. And church, we are going to be a church who exemplifies this and demonstrates this. And I have it in my heart and I know it's coming in the days just ahead of us. These are the things we're going to be experiencing. Now, it may not be all tomorrow or next week, but if you'll stick with this and if you'll refuse to walk away sad, but just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. Jesus, where are we going? You'll see. Jesus, where are we headed? I'm going to show you. Come on, Jesus, where are we headed? We headed to the house? No. We're headed to the houses and in the age to come, eternal life, freedom from the fear of death. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. You got anything you need to add to that this morning? Thank you, Lord. As he was teaching this, I kept looking back over the years and I could count about four or five times when he's asked us, to leave everything and to follow him. And the one particular time he's talking, to, talking about referencing, when we left our security and our job and we, were, we had it made. We were totally good, happy. Um, of course, we hadn't seen anything like we've seen now and what God's done. But at that time, when he said, leave it and follow me, I remember when we didn't take a paycheck, like you mentioned from, I kept thinking about that, eight months to a year, I can't remember exactly. But I remember that money was not on my mind. Following him was on my mind. I was so excited and so full of joy at the thought of going all in for the kingdom and serving God, both of us, we were consumed with the will of God for our lives. We were consumed with the call of God on our lives. We were consumed with the ministry that he had given us. We did not have money on the mind. And when you get money off your mind, life gets really good. And that is the moment when he can start to add 
everything to you that you could ever hope or desire or dream of. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek the things, seek working for the things, seek striving after the things. Does it say that? No, it says seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. I think that that's the most beautiful thing about our relationship and what God has done in us. And I am so grateful that our number one, we have always been about the call, always been about going all in for the kingdom. And that is not on us because we're something special. That's because it's heart motivation. And that is the, that is the heart that throws open wide the gates of life to come to you. A lot of people say, well, you know, I got to work for this and I got to go after this and I got to make my living and I got to do all this. No, listen, you seek first the kingdom and you experience life beyond all those things. I can tell you that we are some of the richest people in the whole world, not because of what we own and have. And thank God he's blessed us. Thank God he's been good to us. And all that has just come as a side item and it has come as obeying and seeking first his kingdom. But man, we are the richest people in the world because we have real life. We have Jesus. We have something worth living for. We found out what makes life great. And it's knowing God and it's following the call. And then when he calls and he says, follow me, it's going after him. And that's what we've experienced all these years. I've been so, so thankful. And you know, I want to instill that in my kids, that they would always love his things and value and put them first and go after him and be excited about that before having any stuff or anything. Now it'll come and it'll get added to you and there'll be persecution with it. We've already seen it. But to follow him, oh, there's no greater joy to go all, go all in for the gospel and for the kingdom, no greater joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, there are people in this world who for them, the money's not an issue. The money's not a problem. The stuff isn't a problem. But if they don't have Jesus, it just keeps coming over me in waves. I got something they don't got. You've got something. Have you ever realized that before? You sitting in here this morning. There may be some billionaire in this world today. And if they don't know him, you've got something they don't have. <laughs> That makes you rich. Yes. Eternal life makes us rich. And it's why our whole lives should be dedicated to helping them find it. Yes. Regardless of what anybody's got in the bank or what they don't have, helping them find true wealth and true riches. You know, there's a principle that I've seen at work in my life several times, and I know you have too. Have you ever lost something and you couldn't find it, so you went out and bought another one? And as soon as you bought another one, you found the one you were looking for. It's happened to me so many times. 
There's a principle there. Jesus said, whoever tries to save his own life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life, or in other words, whoever gets their life off their mind, guess what? Guess what you're going to find? Guess what you end up finding? The thing that's not on your mind anymore. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.